Well, let's get on to today's interview with Dr. Becky Meyer, again, superintendent of the Lake Pondre School District. Becky, thanks for being here. So let's start out with how has the first semester gone? Fast. <laughs> it flies by. It, it, it's funny how fast it goes. Uh, we, we have a lot of things that have happened this first semester. I think probably one thing the community is most interested in is our long-range facility planning committee. As you know, we started our new five-year strategic plan. We spent my first year back in gathering input. We had community input forums, feedback forums, surveys, did a lot of uh, focus groups, and we were able to develop our five-year strategic plan, which went into place this fall. So the number one thing that came back in our results of working with the community was to improve uh, deficient and any unsafe building conditions and student safety. Those, so those are both under addressing facilities, which is the first bucket on our strategic plan. So to, to, to that point, there have been surveys done of all the buildings, right? I mean, we know yep. that some of these buildings do have some serious problems. Yes, they yeah. do. And we um, did those, completed those again. So we have a third person, a company that went through and um, looked at all of the what they're called BCEFs, Building Condition Evaluation Forms. It's a state form. And so they're measured, our buildings are measured the same as any other school in the state on what their condition is. So we we did do that. And um, I don't know if you want to name names on some of those buildings, but the middle school was closed in December after mm -hmm. there was a broken water main and then electrical damage. Um, is that one of the schools that, I, I assume that's yes. one of the school that yep. needs uh, some either some major work or just replacement. Yep. The actually uh, Northside and, and Sandpoint Middle School are our two lowest ranked scores um, on that and have some building issues that need to be addressed. And oftentimes what's hard for the community to see, our facilities department, custodial department is so great that they end up fixing things. They clean so well Sometimes from the outside, folks don't understand really what's wrong with the building. And this is what came out at Sandpoint Middle School. Um, a water line broke, a three-inch water lane from the city. And so we had to get there. Luckily, the custodian, it was a snowy day. He was going to need to plow on Monday morning. He came luckily on Sunday. He saved lots of money by coming on Sunday night and saw the water coming out of the mechanical room. Luckily, it didn't get out into the hallways and they, you know, had to work with the fire department in the city and get it turned off. And then you saw I sent out electrical damage that was done. And those are the kind of things that typically take place behind the scenes. And folks don't know really what the cost is going to be to fix those type of things. But there are some major uh, renovations we're going to need to do with mechanical HVAC and mechanical things. And then there's the other pieces that parents and students are really interested in, Chris, the educational suitability. So, for instance, at Sandpoint Middle School, there's several classrooms that are too small for the number of class sizes. So they're really crammed in there and there's not, you know, much space on the side to walk. There's not a lot of whiteboard space. And so in all actuality for us to make it a good learning environment for kids and for, you know, teaching and learning, uh, we need to sh small some rooms up and find some equity in classroom spaces, um, and also the lunchroom. I've talked about that on the show before. The la the lunchroom only takes one half of they, one grade. they got to do it in shifts. They That's have to yeah. do it in shifts. And then there's another uh, group of students that have to sit up on the stage in the middle school above the gym 
and they're just, I took pictures. They're just crammed in there like sardines. Um, but there, so there's some definite issues that we need to address. The good news is we had, when we went out to buildings, we have every single area, every single school in the district is represented. And we have community members, parents, um, anyone from the patrons that are here, 43 members that are in this group. So and we have some people that volunteered to sign up and then others that came from the different schools. So we have a wide, diverse group of, of patrons and parents that are on this long-range facility planning So committee. what will the committee come up with? Will there be a, like a solid plan and a recommendation to replace these schools and there'll be price tags attached to that? And then, of course, would be the funding source yep. question. So our next step is we've done our tours. We've done our tours. We've done Northside, Washington, Sandpoint Middle School. We A couple of weeks ago, we had our January meeting and we did Sandpoint High School. Um, now we're going to be going out to Southside. Uh, no, Lake Pondre High School's next and then Southside. And, and so we will be looking at all of the schools that the committee wants to look at. After that's done, we do a priority and we're going to have the the community, the committee is going to look at what are all the things that we need to look at that we've seen that need to be fixed. And let's prioritize based on projects. Then we're going to do what they think based on. Do we do one school at a time? Do we do something for each school or each area of the community? What they think would have the most community support? then they'll have plan A, B, C, D, E, whatever, however many plans they have, long range, coming up with a 10, 20-year plan. They'll bring these options to the school board and present it, and then the school board decides if and when they want to take something out to the voters. Mm -hmm. Is it likely to be a levy or a bond, the, the funding mechanism here? Well... Eventually, someday, we're talking about... Mm -hmm. The... I don't want to speak for the committee, but in my meeting with, you know, coffee clatches, I have another one today at 9 a.m. at mm. Starbucks if you want to join us. But in talking with folks at coffee clatches and out in the community, um, right now there is not a strong appetite for a bond anywhere in the state. But I've definitely heard that feedback from the community. So the other options are to look at plant facility levies and do smaller projects spread out versus one large school. So that's going to be the committee's decision, and they're going to be taking all the input. We've uh, done some research. We've given them articles. Also, looking at the legislature, you know the governor did promise. Uh, he always put forth a plan. A plan. Uh, plan. Uh, we'll see if it gets to the legislature. Promise that he'd take it, I guess, forward <laughs> to the legislature. So we'll see where that goes, but that would be very helpful. Well, um, and that plan is a it's a $2 billion, a 10-year $2 billion a plan to address the aging, crumbling school buildings throughout the state. Yep. So do you have any idea what does that mean for our district? If Should that pass, which is, of course, a question mark in the legislature? Yeah, <clears throat> we, we don't want to estimate yet because we're not sure if they'll go by um, the scores. Remember I told you about the condition forms? Yes. If they'll go by scores in district and highlight those and give more ac access to those communities versus one's who have newer buildings, we're not sure how they're going to do that. So we hesitate to you know, configure a number. But I will tell you that there, if it passes, there is the possibility, the governor said, of getting the money up front. So if we needed to do some major repairs, taking that money, our portion of that up front, and then matching it with our, 
um, facility funds. If you remember back on this program, we talked about House Bill 292 that passed last year in our district. It got one because we have an indefinite term levy, which is the permanent mm-hmm. levy. Our district got $1.397 million for facilities. So we have that sitting there. Um, the board needs to approve anything that we do with that. We are we are working on an HVAC um, rehaul system for the life skills program at Farm and Stidwell. Uh, that's the only thing that we've promised uh, the money for, and they're do- working on that project now. It's the only thing that has come out of that fund. So what I what I want to do, and what hopefully the committee agrees with, is taking that money, going to the community, and saying we have this money, and we'll get that same amount next year, matching that with some uh, community supported money possibly a plant facility mm-hmm. levy and and then seeing where the priorities is with the long range facility planning committee and taking that piece out to mm-hmm. the voters. And I might be wrong about this, but I think Sandport high school is the last new school building we <laughs> built, which was in the nineties. Yep. So we're talking about 30 years ago Yes. since we did anything yes. like that in the community. And of course, over the course of 30 years, all the other buildings keep getting older mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's hard to, um, to remember that, it's never ending. Yeah. School maintenance, right. school building maintenance. Right. Yeah. And there's no fun. And that, you know, that's something the governor did bring up. There's only two dis- two states in the entire nation that are so hard to get facility funds because it's not funded by the state. And in several states throughout the country, they have a facility fund that they give a portion based on student enrollment to every district in that state. We do not have that. And we also have the supermajority, which is in the Idaho Constitution, where you have to have 67 and two-thirds, so you have to have a supermajority to pass. It's not just the 50% plus one. Mm-hmm. So that makes it very difficult to to support, you know, bonds mm-hmm. um, in, in the—and you've seen, if you've watched the news throughout the last couple of years, Highland is the one that comes to mind for me most recently. That school burned down. No students were in it. It was before school started. They It burned down. They went to the voters and said, "We will. it will not raise your taxes based on that House Bill 292, that decreasing the local property taxes and them doing the bond. It, their press out, their media campaigns, it, it will not raise, and there's enough people moved in, will not raise your taxes. Please vote yes on this bond to build and replace the part of Highland High School that burned down, and uh, it was a vote no. It, it got a majority, but not a super majority. Exactly. Yeah. So that's how yeah. high that bar is. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is just the issue of there's constant maintenance and facility and work that needs to be done, just like your house to keep mm-hmm. up your house. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I got a few things in my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big yeah, job, but it's vital because when you have children in a building mm-hmm. nine months out of the, the year, it's... It has to be functional. It has yeah. to be safe, as yep. you say. Yeah, so, I, I will give job. a shout out to um, the the state for our securing our futures grants. Um, our district applied, and that's to help make your schools safer. We applied and got two hundred and forty thousand dollars. It could only be used to improve school safety. But now, as of two weeks ago, every single classroom and hallway in our district has an intercom system that's uh, networked in. So we have flashing blue lights if there's a lockdown. It's white if there's an announcement. There's language that goes over for hearing impaired. And we have the lockdown system now all set up, which has been huge. We also have all of our controlled access, which I told you about in the beginning Mm -hmm. of the year, where people um, need to buzz in 
We have the Raptor system that we paid for. So this grant really helped us get several things up to snuff. We are working on the second round of securing our future grant, and those are going to be um, really based on need. And so we're working on some fencing around some of our dist- our schools, and we're work- you know working on some other security issues to make sure that we are as safe as we possibly can be. So mm-hmm. I am proud of that for sure. But that was outside grant funding that allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. So real quick, um, who made the decision that the, those kind of improvements were the things to make it safer, or is it just standard makes sense? We don't have those. Every other school does. We need those. I'll tell you what it is, is it's research, um, really a lot of research from my last district. We had a di- we started a district safety task force and really did a lot of research. So I came into back into the district with some thoughts about what has been proven. Now, something I want to give a shout out to our district safety task force. We have several law enforcement, first responders, um, community members who really care about um, some retired law enforcement um, the citizens group. Uh, I do. I do want to say they come together for a couple hours once a month, and we do. We take every after action debrief. So Uvalde, Rob Elementary. We looked at Michigan. We look at all of the acts of violence, and I don't want to just say school shooting because any act of violence, and we go through all of the after action debrief reports, which has helped us to determine what can we do in our district to learn from those mistakes that they say, do this, do this, do this. So it's hard work. It's very hard on the heart um, to thinking about the school safety pieces. But I, I do want families to know you have a great team behind you that is proactively thinking about this to be prepared for everything that may come, you know, and the more prepared we are, the better I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Uvalde was especially tragic because the the, the – Response seemed to be paralyzed for mm-hmm. over an hour yeah. there. And so. there is the, you know, some, not everybody would want to watch it, but it is just released the documentary that has, um, you know, the, the, the law enforcement cameras and the people talking through it. And we learned a lot from that. And then their after action report has 20 things to learn. So um, we are, we are on top of all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's the violent kind of safety measures, but there's also other safety things in the schools that need to happen. I'm not sure what those are, but. I like the idea of the citizens committee, yeah. as you call it, yeah. because so many people say there's stuff going on. I can't get involved, you know. Yes. So there are options. There's, there's lots of ways. Mm-hmm. And and just really quick to note on that, Susie, the most important step we have in school safety is proactive Working on, we have one trusted adult initiative that we're doing this year. So every single student in our district, by the end of the year, every single one, and some schools already have this, where they can identify one trusted adult they can talk to. And there's research behind this, and we want students to be able to have some adult at school. Of course, they have their parents at home, and their parents talk to the school, but we want them to have an adult at school that they feel comfortable with. So we're doing a lot this year in the One Trusted Adult and really making sure that students have an avenue. If they hear something, say something, we have a CTEL Now 800 number that we that pe- people can call into, really looking at any bullying and harassment, unsafe situations, things they've heard about, rumors. It really helps for us to make sure students feel like they have a place to go and also that their learning environment is safe for them. So the One Trusted Adult might be a teacher or a faculty yep. member? Um, we have some bus drivers, custodians. It could be the admin assistant. It could be a counselor, teacher, principal. 
any adult that's interacting with them from the minute they get picked up in the morning till the minute they go home. And how do kids know which one is their one trusted adult? They identify it. We did surveys. So everyone did a baseline survey in the beginning of the year. And then the uh, schools will identify, hey, these are the students that don't have feel like they have one person to talk to at the school, let's make a concerted effort and which staff person is really going to connect with that student. Mm -hmm. Is there a formal time set aside for the kids to connect with this? Um, it depends adults? which school it is. Uh, they're, they're, when you have bulldog time, you know, for instance, at Sandpoint High School, they have set up, there is um, time at the homes at, at uh, mm -hmm. Sandpoint Middle School. So each school does in a different way. Is it more... Uh, is it more... Uh, important for an older kid or a younger kid or oh, all, all age groups? All age groups. Yeah. So when I'm hearing what you're saying, this is a new program and integrating something like this into the culture of the school takes a while. Yeah. So do you go into the classrooms and kind of explain this as groups or is it uh, a note sent home to the child with the children? And can it be things that uh, maybe it's not something they saw, heard or felt? but something maybe they felt, yes, you know, something exactly. happened to them and they're upset about something. Yep. And sometimes it could be they feel maybe some bullying or they don't feel like they're, uh, you know, valued for their own pieces of them. Um, or it could be that they witnessed it. We've had several where students are witnessing something. And uh, I, I'm not saying we're going to get to 100% where this will never happen and we won't see any of this. But once you call it out and you identify it and you address it, and you work with students to say, this is how it's making the other people feel, the other student. Um, you know, mediation and working through with groups of people proactively, that's what's going to help in the future for school safety is really for all students. Now, we we talked to all the staff in the beginning of the year at the Welcome Back. I've noticed I've sent home things in the loop and talked to parents about it. Um, but it's not something we go to the students and say, we want all of you to identify a trusted adult, so you have to find one. It's not a pressure thing for them. It's more organic of what, you know, where, who are they feeling connected to? And when they answer a survey, do they feel comfortable with somebody? And it's anonymous, um, you know, as far as we don't tell the teacher, it is the student answering the survey so we can make sure that they have somebody. Mm -hmm. Kind of putting this into place for now and in the future, integrating it into the culture. Yeah. 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 Good job. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about how, um, you know, school classes and academics have gone here in, in this. We're just winding up the first semester, is that right? Yep, it'll be um, ending, and it's a non-student day on Friday, which is the student the teachers will grade, mm -hmm. do their grades and the reports on Friday. Mm -hmm. Well, so you don't really have measures of how the, the, you know, the testing, the academic measures that you normally that, that you use to kind of judge how your success rate is. Right. Well, we will know, for instance, uh, we'll know at secondary schools what our pass rate is versus what we call a DFI, like how many students got a D and F or an incomplete in a class. Um, that's a measure how many, versus how many people pass the classes. We have an attendance rate that we'll be able to share, which has been going up this year um, wonderfully. We've really put a lot of attention and focus on bringing students back to school and making sure that they know how important that is that they're in the classroom. Uh, and then we're right in the middle of winter testing for our IRI, Idaho Reading Indicator, which tests our reading of our K-3 students. Uh, we won't be starting our ISATs, which is the summative evaluation for our whole district that doesn't start until um, April and May. So mm -hmm. 
Um, but we will have do a report for the board at the February board meeting, mm-hmm. February 13th, that will give our um, fall to winter score mm-hmm. growth. And, and uh, so how do we rank typically in the state? On, on these academic uh, measures. Well, yeah, yeah, we always, ever since I was here before and while I was gone and since I've been back, we're always above the state average. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that we need to grow in math. I mentioned it last time we I was on the program. Math and graduation rate are our two highest um, areas. Mm-hmm. I spoke, and I know you had Lisa McElroy on about the dyslexia legislation. That is really helping um, so many of our students. Uh, it's it, It's really heartwarming to see our progress there. And some parents will be getting, you know, if we're working with your child, they will be getting letters in the mail and they know what interventions we're doing with kids. We we always score really high in the reading area. Um, we do need to do some work in our math. As you know, we started a new math, K-5 math curriculum. So, um, and it's really rigorous. So that, you know, thank you to all the our elementary folks. And they're doing that new curriculum and really pushing the limit with our kids to get these concepts and these skills so that we can perform better in the math assessments. Mm-hmm. And how are we doing with the graduation rate? How, or where Are we at or above or below the state? We're uh, above the state, but it's definitely not where we want to be um, last year. So we don't have 2023 because you have an appeal process, meaning if somebody transferred and they were marked as a dropout, but they've re-enrolled at another school, they're transferred, they're taken off the dropout. Um, so we have to, and if students are homeschooling versus dropping out, so we have to look at all that. But l- so we go off of the last year. So it would be, you know, the 2023 is 84.2%. The state average is only 79.9. Okay. But that's really not as high as we'd like it. it we always want to have 100% and be able to help every student reach that final goal of graduation. But anything, we, we really want to be, over 90%, um, and, and we're working at that at our schools. I know that Clark Fork High School, he um, has less graduates, so he can personally get a hold of all of them, and he's now going to be at 100% for the for the last, the, the 2023. That, that's where you want to be. Yeah. Well, of course, that's a smaller school, yes, so they, smaller they, school. they do have the smaller class size, more yeah. intimate uh, classes. Uh, how does Idaho compare with other states? Are there states that hit a 90% graduation rate? Yeah, I, I would have to look that up, Chris. But I know that Idaho, um, that always been in the press, like that we have a high graduation rate. But then uh, the media tends to focus on, well, you have a high graduation rate, but your go-on rate to college is less than other states with that same graduation rate. But what I don't think that they take into consideration is the number of students that um go to into CTE, go right into work. It's career and, and technical just, education. Yep, uh-huh. Yeah, career technical education. Uh, several, uh, you know, they go to a missionary work for two years. They do their mission. Uh, students that may go into the military, those get counted against your grow-on rate, and they should not be. Mm-hmm. Um, that should be, if somebody has a post-secondary plan and they're and have following through with that, I think that should be able to count in the go-on rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, any news on the CTE uh, front with the, the offerings to kids? Well, yeah. we've increased the number this year, which is on our strategic plan to increase the number. And then um, I don't want to say too much. February 1st, um, the uh, CTE Council, I don't know if you remember the I- ICRS, Idaho Career Ready Students Grant, and um, Debbie Critchfield, the new state superintendent, put $45 million um, the, the first two rounds, like I wrote a, a $5 million 
grant uh, that I've re- I've probably had to rewrite about 112 times now, I think. Um, and so February 1st will be the final time for us to dis- you know determine if we receive this grant, which would create a CTEC, which is similar to how Coeur d'Alene, Rathdrum, Post Falls has the KTEC, where there would be a career technical education campus where students would have programs. And that would open up several new possibilities for us if we get when we get this grant, I'm hoping, mm-hmm. um, being positive thinking, and they meet again on February 1st. So I'm anxiously awaiting that. And we have several partners in the community that would be helping, um, but that would be going out and we'd be building that um, in the community. Mm. Well, here's something I've kind of been wondering about. <clears throat> if we're starting to see any effects locally, and that's uh, with AI, and if that is bleeding over into classroom work and, and teachers are starting to see kids that are producing essays or school work uh, utilizing AI, which could be both a, you know, a useful tool, but also a way to kind of dodge work. Right. Well, there is, um, that's artificial intelligence. So right. Artif- <laughs> we, we, it's interesting because this just came up at the Kiwanis meeting um, this week when Alex Gray presented on CTE and Dick Vale um, was asking about AI and, you know, how do, how do people use it? Well, I'll tell you the best teachers um, that we've seen in working with students about AI, uh, they don't have the elephant in the room. They say, this is available. How do we use this to our advantage? And they teach them to use it. Similar to when cell phones, when I was the principal at Sandpoint High School and I saw the most successful teachers were the ones that didn't completely shut out cell phones. They said, okay, this is a reality. This is like a mini computer for kids. How do we let teach them to use it appropriately? When to use it, when not to use it, what to use it for, what not to use it for in class. Um, and so that was that's similar to AI. When teachers are teaching, this is a tool. You can have them maybe check your work, but they 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 you need to have your own ideas. And then how do you write your own essay and have AI check it? Or how do you get starters from AI? But they don't, they have now um, apps that they can check to see, is this hev- low, medium, or high? They use AI to check on AI. AI, yeah. they do that. So <laughs> That's right. And I, I have superintendents that tell me they use it all the time. I haven't explored it yet. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not against technology and moving forward, but I just am not at the point yet where I can want to let go of my own writing. So I just haven't tried it yet, but... But I have several superintendents that say that they use it. We're, we are in my day job starting to utilize it too. And mm-hmm. it is a tool. It helps you get a first draft. It's mm-hmm. never, you know, because we are producing works to be read and, and published. Uh, they don't tend to be perfect. Uh, and also, you cannot trust what AI comes back with from the internet in terms of research. Right. So, for sure. the, the, but the, the thing is, it's, it's here. It's like cell phones, uh, and it's just going to keep growing. It's going to influence a ton of different uh, jobs out there. So kids, at this point in time, they actually need to figure out how to utilize uh, these tools again. When I think about AI, um, old school here, it's, you know, it's like a muscle. Your brain, your independent creative thinking Mm -hmm. is a brain, is a tool, a muscle. And if you don't use it, really. So if you're using AI, what are you also doing to that thinking mechanism to keep it alive and yep. strong. And I'm sure that there's all kinds of ed- well, We've already been that. influenced Just figuring uh, from, out AI. F- from two or three decades of having Google 
Yes. There right? You go. I mean, it's affecting our ability for recall because yep. we jump on the phone. Oh, I can't remember that. You don't dig in your mind to come up with it. Yeah. You jump on the phone yep. to, to see uh, how did the Patriots do in 96. Uh, <laughs> um, Okay, so how about any upcoming events you want to uh, highlight? You know, having a coffee, coffee clash, clash today, today. And, yep. and just a little bit. If yep. people are listening to this, at, uh, it's going to be at nine o'clock and in the Starbucks at Ponderay. Yes, right? yeah. yep. So that, um, and then I w- I'd love to. Um, I know it's a ways away, but something I we really want to get as many possible people there, and I want to give a thank you to the Panhandle Health District for a grant they have for opiate recovery um, grant that they have. Uh, and, and they're going to be funding uh, for us to have dinner um, for all parents and then childcare, free childcare, because I want as many parents to be able to attend as possible. It's going to be a student safety parent education forum. So we really want um, parents to learn how do you keep your kids safe? So speaking of AI and apps and cell phones, Something, um, I had an FBI, uh, retired FBI, he just retired, but he's willing to come up. We have um, and Paul Ferrini, and then we have Laura Whitehead from Juvenile Probation in Coeur d'Alene, and we have Jess Stennett, who's a sergeant with ISP. You know that we did have a student right before I came back that died of fentanyl overdose in Sandpoint, and there are things that are happening that families don't know, um, and just for them to be aware of what drugs are out there, how they look, um, what kids kind of questions to ask your kids. So we're going to have a community forum, and this is for all anybody in the community, but we're going to invite Charter School, West Bonner, um, Boundary County, and I want as many parents in this community to be able to come. And there's going to be, you know, I'm going to give a five-minute quick overview. Then we're going to have stations where we have um, the FBI talking about the dark web, what our app students are using, how do you keep track, and keep make sure your students are safe. How to talk to your students. How to talk to your students. And we have a section with school counselors are going to be there. What questions, suicide, ideation, how do you talk to students about that if they're not, if they're feeling depressed or they seem down. And then we're going to have a section on the drugs that are in available in Sandpoint. So it's going to be information that every parent, no matter how young your kids are, all the way up to if your kids are in college, that all parents should be there. Um, and we're going to have that on April 17th at Sandpoint High School. And again, uh, the, this grant that the Opiate uh, Settlement Addiction Settlement Recovery, Opiate Re- Recovery Settlement Grant from Panhandle Health District is going to be paying for um, a dinner that will be available and free childcare. So even if you have young kids, um, really for everyone to show up. And it's going to be a great at full program um, with information for families. Is, really. is, is there a name for the, what, what's, what's the program called? Uh, Kristen Hawkins is coming up with it. <laughs> okay. So uh, they, they're working on it. I think just yesterday she came, but I can't remember. It's, some, it's basically student safety, but we want parents to be educated. It's not for students to come. Okay. It's for the parents to come and learn about it. Um, but I want to make take away any barriers for attendance, and that's why we're doing it at 530 Sandpoint High School. Mm-hmm. And uh, April 17th. April 17th. I think we should have you come back in and talk about it, maybe bring some of the presenters. I would love to. Um, mm-hmm. Right before that, yeah, I would because love this to. is vital. Yep, it, I would love to. Without education, without understanding the scope of protecting our children, uh, it, we're not doing the right thing. So this sounds like an incredible opportunity. So let's do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I also spotted on the calendar in March a student-led conference for um, elementary, middle school, and Clark Fork. What's that about? So we've had student-led conferences way back when I started in 1993 in the district. Um, Shortly thereafter, they started student-led conferences just at elementary. And they're really a way for anybody who's gone through them or their kids have gone through them. It's a way for students to take responsibility and accountability for their own learning and teachers in the beginning of the year have students um, put bring work. Here's where my writing level, my reading level, here's where I'm doing in math, here's where my behavior goals are, here's where my uh, getting along with others, my social goals are, and they set goals for themselves. This is where I am in the beginning of the year, this is where I want to be at mid-year, and this is where I want to be at the end of the year. And so the student-led conference is a way, when you're just over mid-year in March, it doesn't have to do with report cards or grading. It's for students to have their parents come in and share, this is what my goals were, and this is how my progress is. This is where I'm still working. And there's actual research with John Hattie, and it's the third highest effect size. What that means, Chris, is that you have the most learning for students in a year, more than an average year of growth, if students take accountability and self-report their grades and their progress to their parents. So there's a lot of research behind this. My own Kids went through it, and I um, saw it in action from a parent. Um, and then we, when I went to my last district, we started it, and we got it all the way up through their junior year, and then the senior project is their senior year. So one thing, our goal in this district is this year we're going to continue with the K-6 elementary. Then our middle school teachers are learning, are going to do training on that date, March 15th. They're going to do their training to get ready to start for the next year. So the next calendar year uh, – school year, 24-25, all middle school students so will have K through 8 students will be doing student-led conferences. And then because Clark Fork is one staff for 7 through 12, they will be doing it K-12. And it'll culminate um, eventually in their senior project. Mm-hmm. So it's really exciting work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's something that the parents can look forward to there as well. And we should mention that this Saturday, January 27th, there's a free parent workshop that's, that's put on by the Panel Alliance for Education, but with, in coordination with the school district um, for Ready for Kindergarten. It's a preparing young kids. Uh, we're talking about from birth right up to mm-hmm. kindergarten age to be ready to go into kindergarten. And uh, I, as we know, I think there's a lot of um, uh, research that supports it. If a kid starts out behind, it's really tough for them to catch up. Mm-hmm. So. It's so important to for uh, really young kids to have their, their parents uh, working with them on math and reasoning and, and even uh, reading. The workshop includes some free take-home interactive toys. There is free child care there. So uh, I think you would probably need to call the, the PAFE right away if you wanted to go to that. It's for parents and grandparents and, and caregivers of kids from zero to birth to five, age five. Uh, you could call PAFE at 263-7040. That's 208-263-7040. So, and that is just this Saturday, so you would need to get registered soon. Or you could check them out at panhandlealliance.org on the web. And, uh, of course, there's a ton of information on lposd.org, and we were talking about the Long Range um, uh, Facility Planning Committee. There's some documents there that's already yep. been produced. You have your, your strategic plan up on the website. Yep. Um, we only have a couple minutes left before you need to jet off. Anything else you want to tell us about? 
Oh, just encourage people to stay involved. Make sure um, the Long Range Facility Planning Committee, those minutes, it's a subcommittee sanctioned by the board. So there is official minutes that are posted. Uh, anyone's welcome to come, not participate in the meeting because you're not part of the subcommittee, but definitely observe, um, certainly ask questions. Uh, board meetings are at the district office on in Ponderé on Triangle Drive this year. Welcome anybody to come to those meetings. We do have student presentations in the very first part of every single board meeting. So it's always nice to see students presenting on what they're doing in the schools. Mm -hmm. um, encourage people to come to those the second Tuesday at 530 um, up at four, five o'clock. Sorry, five o'clock at upstairs at the district office. Mm -hmm. Which is on Triangle Drive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well. In the last minute or two, how about those bulldogs? Uh, <laughs> the girls are uh, the girls basketball. They're defending their state championship. First time ever. First time yeah. ever. Their first state champions in basketball yeah. for the school, um, either gender, and um, they're having a good season. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Coach Doctor Love, and he's doing yeah. a is a wonderful job. And I hired him, so I always take credit for him. <laughs> I'm just joking, but uh, I always say, "Oh, I hired him at Sandpoint yeah. High School." So. Yeah. Yes, he's yeah. great. And uh, and of course, the girls' soccer brought home mm -hmm. a state championship this year. Um, Which they, is a new, we have is a really cool, interesting thing is there's wrestling now for both girls and boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, huge turnout. They had 45 middle school females show up for the for the season. I mean, yeah. this is really really exciting. Uh, Coach Valley, she's just really inspirational, and her own kids did, and then up into college and stuff. So she's really inspirational for our students, mm -hmm. our female students especially. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the boys had a, uh, the soccer team at least had a really successful yes. season. They made it to the mm -hmm. final, and darn, they darn. Didn't quite and you know, Travis it. French retired, and Connor Baranski, the boys and girls head soccer varsity coaches, retired. So um, retired from coaching. Right. So that that's going to be big shoes to fill. Uh, my own two oldest daughters both played soccer for. Baranski and we beat Bishop Kelly oh, when yeah. yeah it was uh, yeah. when I was the principal and there that are was nemesis one of the, on the soccer yes, field yes they are yeah. and um, I did too, yeah. I did hear that they are yeah. moving up to six A in soccer I don't know if that's oh. accurate or not but okay. um, we have been moved up to five A they kind of wrote moved all schools up a division so um, hmm. that was a whole new reclassification which we don't have time to go yeah. into but you could certainly bring on our new AD at Sandpoint High School. T.J. Clary, and he would oh, be a okay. great interview for okay. you guys. He's yeah, doing, yeah, we'll do uh, winning on and off the court uh, yeah. on the field and court. You know, Coach Love's actually an occasional broadcaster here. We'll get mm -hmm. him in with the Absolutely. AD. Yeah. Yes, that would, that would be, be great. He could ask all the tough questions. Yeah. <laughs> He's awesome. Yes. <laughs> okay. I love having you come in. And the work you're doing is big. It's huge. You seem extremely enthusiastic about it. And good job. Thank you so much, Susie. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.